0: Now, that scene demonstrates a very common and probably very significant technique that's used again and again in these films. We view a scene through the eyes of the killer. We often saw things from the victim's point of view, but that's no longer. Now we look through the killer's eyes. It's almost as if the audience is being asked to identify with the attackers in these movies, and that really bothers me. The behavior that these women are engaging in, if done by men, would be considered brave, bold, and fun. Mm-hmm. Going hitchhiking, you know, mm-hmm. or going across the country like an easy rider, very typical. A sure. woman tries to do something like that in these films, whammo, they get sliced up. It's an unpleasantly, absolutely reprehensible little sleaze pit of a movie named Friday the 13th Part 2. And it's a continuation of the senseless, gruesome, violent murders we saw in that first film. It exists only to show killing and mutilation. They saturate television with a violent ad campaign, hope to make their money quickly before word gets around on how scummy the movie really is. Also, many of the attacks in these films take on, uh, are on women who are scantily clad. and I think that the intent here is to also exploit the sex angle in these pictures. The kid is turned into a monster who lurks in the woods and carves up unsuspecting young camp counselors. The teenagers try to hide, but this monster just keeps coming. He's almost a supernatural force. They exploit one element and make it sort of sick. The teenagers fight back with pitchforks, but what difference does it make? How can there be dramatic tension when we know this monster can't be killed? The nudity is always gratuitous. It's just put in the film only to titillate the audience and maybe make one other point, that women who dress this way or merely uncover their bodies are somehow asking for trouble and somehow deserve the trouble they get, that's a very sick idea. Among the movie's low points is a kid in a wheelchair who has his head hacked open by a machete, and a young couple who are both impaled by the same spear. This isn't a movie, it's a cinematic geek show. It seems to be made by and for people with no cheerfulness, no hope, no trust in human nature.
1: Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent here with Kevin, Cat, and Dave. Hello. Hello. Hi. This week, if you are listening on episode Published Day, it is Friday the 13th. <coughs> we thought we would take the opportunity, since we really haven't touched upon what I think you would have to call love it or hate it, the most iconic horror movie franchise of all time. Mm. I don't think there's really an argument to be made. We talked about Freddy versus Jason way back on our Slasher episode, but other than that, we haven't talked about the Friday the 13th film series. So Kat and I got together and decided that rather than cherry-pick a couple of our favorites out of the whole... Franchise. Um, this being the first time we've really taken it head on, we should just start at the start, 1980, Friday the 13th, directed by Sean S. Cunningham, written by Victor Miller. This is a rental right now, but it's on and off all of the various uh, subscription platforms. I watched like six of these just like a year ago. I think they were all on Hulu. So as far as a, uh, a setup, Summer of 79, the camp has been dormant since uh, a couple of randy camp counselors were murdered in a barn back in 58. That was the summer after young Jason Voorhees drowned while attending the camp, uh, now known by locals as... Camp Blood, because these are very creative and original locals, (laughs) (laughs) come up with little names like that for things. Um, This is like a pretty open, blatant, um, and not trying to hide anything, rip off, cash in of the massive success of the indie horror film Halloween, Mm. which we talked about back on our first episode. That really showed people they could make some money here, and I would describe this movie as taking like the two most base elements of Halloween, high school girls and a mad slasher, and just turning those to 11, just hitting those as hard as possible, harder than Halloween, making really an exploitation film out of it. This was the first sort of indie horror movie to pick up a um, a distribution deal with a major studio. This was bought before it was even made. Everybody wanted a piece of this action, a half a million dollar budget, this movie made $60 million, a smash hit, and changed the face of horror ever since. Um, I saw this one not long ago. I think it holds up great. I'm a big fan of this one. I think even if you take the whole franchise out of it, and you take Jason out of it, and and everything else that goes with it, take all the lore and mythology away, I think this is just a good, old-fashioned, straight-up slasher movie. It starts out with... Uh, Steve Christie, who is reopening the camp, and he's got a gang of teenage camp counselors who are uh, getting ready for the kids in two weeks. Of course, we never get to opening day because everybody dies well before that. <laughs> um, Kevin, I know that you're like, I would consider you the Friday the 13th guy out of the four of us. So I'm curious what you thought about this one now and in, in, with such hindsight.
2: This movie makes no sense at all. It is, like you said, Trent, a blatant cash grab, a total ripoff. But, like, we just talked about George Romero, too, and how Night of the Living Dead set the standard for, like, zombie rules. Well, like, Friday the 13th, it was not original, but it set the standard for, like, slasher, American slasher rules. And all of it was done by accident. Like, we'll get into that. But, I mean, give me Kevin Bacon... Mm-hmm. In a Friday the Thirteenth movie, I mean, it's that even predates, you know, Johnny Depp in Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, yeah, I, I I can't get enough of this movie. I could pick it apart for days, but this movie reminded me why I love horror and why I suspend so much disbelief to love horror because. Part of horror isn't just being scared or grossed out or getting, like, super in-depth in some of these, like, high-art movies we talk about. Part of it is watching a movie with friends or your family and yelling about everything that is wrong with the movie and everything the characters are doing that you think is stupid. And the entire Friday the 13th franchise totally encapsulates this, and I think started it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I... I can't get enough of this franchise. I'm currently up to part six, torturing my family watching it as we're on vacation. And I'll use air quote. They, they'd probably use air quotes on vacation. But we. I, I stopped about halfway through part six to come record this episode in the back of my car at camp. Um, but thank you guys for this. This literally was uh, a week... Not only a vacation I needed, but a week I needed to remind myself uh, to not fucking take shit so seriously sometimes and just sit back and watch a good horror movie.
3: Uh, this is one that I honestly was realizing I don't think I've ever seen all the way through. Um, I think I've only ever seen like the little like snippets of it. I obviously knew about the twist because it's always been spoiled for everyone but it's still a great twist you don't see it coming if you're you know from an outside perspective um i also think that this is a prime example of anyone who's getting laid or attempting to get laid is gonna die um so i feel like this is really the kickoff point for that uh these teens were just banging these teens banging were the whole reason that this whole film franchise happened so let's uh let's all bless up for the underage sex i'd like to (laughs) no nobody great um i like to think that (laughs) they kind of trick you You, they kind of tricked me into thinking that the final girl was a was going to be a different one like right at the beginning you're like oh annie This is the final girl. She's got a little knapsack. She's ready to go to camp, but then she doesn't even make it to the camp. Like she's, um, it was, it was a little shocking, but also fun. I thought, and then I thought that hitchhiking scene was a cool way to show that the killer was someone who was maybe like a little disarming and seemingly trustworthy and not like as aggressive looking as maybe we thought they might be. Um, I was sad I didn't get more shirtless Kevin Bacon for sure. Mm. Um, but his demise was definitely one of my favorites in the film. Um, I love the gore of the whole movie. the classical or the classic practical effects that they had were super effective, I thought. End death scene was fucking dope. I'm so glad we got to recap it in the next one. I I love a good I love a good beheading, um, but yeah, just like a classic gory OG horror movie. Obviously, I'm a fan. I think it still holds up, so I was happy to watch it this week.
4: This movie is mad overrated. There it is, in my opinion. And you have the whole thing where like I think people don't even know really what this movie even is anymore because. The legacy of this movie is the hockey mask and all that. And I feel like it's the, like, Mandala effect. Like, everyone thinks that there are these great slasher movies with a guy in a hockey mask. But they're not even that until the third one. So we're not even getting into the hockey mask at all in this one. 1980. The fucking Shining came out. (laughs) Mother's Day came out. Prom Night came out. It's a good year. Um Maniac came out terror train like some of my favorite slashers and I get a little annoyed when people throw it back to this movie I feel like some production studio is just like, all right, we're gonna cash in on Halloween What would you say if I could take Halloween and mix it with porkies? <laughs> and some guy was like, you know what? I think you're right. We'll do that I don't think it's any better than I, this is like a golden era of horror 1980 was a huge year I just don't think it's as good or as seminal as everyone says. Um, The first two, I would argue the first four are like the best of this. Um, I would have been fine if all four were just like one movie because honestly, one and two even were so redundant. Getting killed uh, for promiscuity is from Halloween. That's not invented. Not new. It's not invented here. I just thought that this was kind of like... This was the rich kid of that bunch. It wasn't the underdog. It had a bunch of studio money behind it. And it was like the brainchild of someone who wanted to make money. And it elevated horror. Golden Age, probably because of the movies like this that broke through the mainstream. Super underground, grimy uh, video nasties that are really going to make horror a household name. It's movies like this. So I appreciate it for that. But it's just not as epic as i think everyone thinks it is
1: did you say mandala
4: yeah the mandala effect
1: mandela mandela Mandela. nelson mandela
4: yeah oh it's oh it, that's from yeah that's yeah. from nelson mandela well, see what the thing is is like i heard a bunch <laughs> of people say mandala and then we all started saying uh, it and then we started <gasps> thinking that that's the way that you said it well, that's that's and the, then all the the <laughs> that's
2: a different way. Wait, wait a minute <laughs> Yeah, I get you, Dave. I get you.
1: Well, you're no, you're you're totally right. That's why I wanted to mention right off like the fact that this got the the big studio distribution. There were tons of other and and that's we run into that from time to time when we talk about classic movies or movies that are considered seminal or being the first or second to do this or that thing like and and it's similar to music, I think too, you know. This was a movie that happened to catch the zeitgeist, and Dave, you mentioned the holiday thing. Uh, This is calendar horror to me. I've talked about that before. They were like, well, Halloween is taken. We're trying to do Halloween, so what's the next scariest calendar day, Mm. Friday the 13th, and from there? So, no, I I don't think that it's as good as plenty of movies from that time. I I just think among early first-generation American slashers, I do think it holds up really well, and I failed to mention Tom Savini. Uh, I'm sure somebody would have As the special effects I think we're a, a notch above a lot I think still mm-hmm. now some mm-hmm. of the special effects some of the kills in this yes if we're going to be really base about it are really really good and that's something that's missing from the next one but
2: I think you you nailed it Dave like you just sort of proved the point of those of us that are like more uh fans of the film is that you have to like you have to give it credit for unintentionally starting something that elevated horror, that made it... Like, maybe it's not great that we took Jason to space in Jason X. Like, maybe that was a little too far. But we did get studios starting to pump money into horror movies because of Friday the 13th. So, like, a lot of articles you read will say, like, oh, it's ripping off Halloween. That was the original slasher. I think we all know that Black Christmas was the first like North American slasher. And we all know that Jalo was actually the original slasher genre. And so we have to call this like American slasher or North American slasher. And what it did was it showed a studio you can spend less than a million dollars and make 50, 60, 70 million dollars by just literally getting a bunch of kids in the movie theater seats and they're cheering for the killer
5: <laughs> and
2: not the actual people in the movie. Like, it's a really fucked up concept when you think about it in that Friday the 13th was like, and, and again, like I'm up to six. I've seen this series countless times. It's literally the horror movie series that I got my wife to watch when I was like, if you want to understand how horror can be silly and fun and entertaining, let's watch Friday the 13th but it got a bunch of people in to be like, hey, let's present you with a bunch of people you hate and you can't wait to see the killer kill them. And, I mean, that's that's a pretty, like, you know, James Wan followed that with the, the Saw franchise. Like, I mean, there are, there are a handful of franchises that really lasted, like, eight, nine, ten movies, but Friday the 13th, it was the first, and it set every single ground rule for what you do with a North American slasher movie. So regardless of how one and two play out, they're not great movies. I just feel like I have to defend them and be like, this is literally one of the reasons I became a horror fan because it was fun.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like getting into metal because you like Bon Jovi slippery when wet. <laughs> And then you end up listening to like really like hardcore, hardcore music. Yeah, it's
2: an evolution. You're, you, know I mean? you're, you're, you have some of the best backhanded compliments I've ever
4: heard. No, I, I'm serious. I'm, I, it's the people's this horror. Is a, this this is isn't is where I started horror. for horror, but it, if it's where you started, it's it, it was the commercially accessible horror that was out there. You know what I mean? Not all horror was out there. We're always talking yeah, about yeah, we're fair. digging through to find stuff. And it was the m- most... Successful uh, Tom Savini movie, and I, I think that the, without this the hockey mask, it's way scarier. Thing I liked about the first two is I thought they kind of ruined it by incorporating the uh, the hockey mask later on. Bagface. Bagface, very
1: um, <laughs> town that dreaded sundown. Mm. I mean, that's a direct rip right there. We talked about the remake of the town that dreaded sundown back on our slasher episode
2: unfortunately
1: that's my least favorite episode by the way, speaking of slashers but um <laughs> dave, I, dave Kevin, picked
2: dave picked that one i picked freddie versus jason i know you guys as a, the duo you we, ruined that episode the, two of
1: the only reason that's again. why i want to do over of that one episode because <laughs> you guys ruined it but i i would say this is a great one I, I do think the first friday the 13th is great it's i think it's a great slasher movie i do
2: too
3: yeah I thought it was fun.
2: I forgot all about like the 1958 opening sequence. Like here's the thing. Great open. You, you mm-hmm. as a horror fan, as a horror fan, you think like, "Oh, Friday the 13th, I know that." Um, I actually didn't. Like I've seen these movies so many times, but again, I've never watched them like through the lens of the podcast and I don't revisit these movies a whole lot. So I forgot the entire 1958 opening. Uh, And then it goes to present day, which I love that one. It's like, it doesn't say 1980, it says present day. Uh, Then you get a classic opening sequence where poor Annie is trying to get to camp and she gets in the Jeep. And I love that. That is one of the, like, I have very vivid memories of watching that opening sequence where Annie gets killed. I love that classic opening sequence. I love the establishment of, like, North American slasher characters. Like, you have Crazy Ralph. you got to have that guy. You have to have, like, the— um, The Harbinger. The, uh, the Ned. You have to have the Ned. You have to have, like, the, the wise guy. Trent, you just brought this jokester. up recently, like, in the episode. Huh? Yeah, classic jokester character.
3: The worst one. This this
2: establishes yeah,
1: yeah. your you have jokester have guy, joker, like- your harbinger, right from um, the- Texas Chansaw Massacre. Gave
2: you that. So this is this is yeah, like keeping
1: yeah. in early traditions and creating new traditions of its own.
2: Yeah, and then you have to have, like, the um, the the people that just want to go have sex. You have to have, like, mm-hmm. the one girl that's not sure if she's going to have sex or, like, take her shirt off. Nobody wears a bra. Let's be <laughs> honest. Like, I don't nice. think I saw a bra in a Friday the 13th movie until, like, at, like part five. No, very so, liberating. Like, bras are refreshing. out. Just leave those at the door. Like, part of casting is probably like, hey, do you wear a bra? Oh, I do. Okay, you're fucking out. Get out of here. Um, but, I mean, it just set so many, like, standards. Not that they were good. The bar was very low. But I, I, I loved this. Like, I, I, I forgot. And I loved digging into it and discovering that most of it was totally accidental.
1: Yeah, um, that's the beauty you know, of like it. Ned, yeah,
2: I mean, they they were just working on a budget. They were playing off, you know, the, the movies that preceded them. And I also love that you have Bing Crosby's son in Friday the Thirteenth. I never knew that. Harry who's, Crosby. Who's he? Yeah, he got arrowed to the wall to the door, right? Oh. He got the, bow, the arrows to the. And it's and, and he's actually playing guitar in a scene. Like oh, like yeah, I mean, yeah, how yeah. many movies do we watch where like somebody's like playing guitar and it's like you're not fucking playing guitar, but Bill's playing guitar in one of the cabin scenes. Um And, you know, I mean, for all of his work with music and acting, he's now an investment banker, which I actually fucking love and appreciate.
4: I didn't have the the revelation that I had watching Night of the Living Dead. Mm. Like when I watched that, a, you know, a few weeks ago, it was immediately like, wow. But this just didn't hit me that way. There was no there's zero surprises because, you know, I just know it inside mm-hmm. and out. I did like the the, the POV uh Killer thing, and like you were talking about how you have an audience of people cheering for the killer instead of the uh, the victims, and I I, I liked I thought that the the POV of the killer shots were like really really effective in this even even better than like the Halloween ones. The POV
1: thing is something that happens in the Jalo. We talked about that where you're you're looking through the the killer's eyes, and but I th- but I think that this represents the first time that that became like, or at least it started to, become like the heel in pro wrestling. You know, sometimes <laughs> like the bad guy gets so popular that eventually people start cheering for the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And that's like kind of, I feel like what happened with Friday the 13th, maybe in part because it was aimed at teens and because it was so goofy. You know, teens aren't stupid. They know what's goofy. Yeah, And that just kind of became part of the gag, like watching pro wrestling. That's kind of what yeah. this sort of turned into. Um, but one thing that, to me was huge about this and the second movie that i didn't really remember the score is yeah. a big separator on this and that's uh harry menfredini nice. um really you know a lot of these old slashers be they better or worse than this the score is something that hampers a lot of them like they're doing like kind of Muzak versions of popular Music at the time, or whatever they're doing, uh, it's not all Goblin, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really thought that that it was almost Jaws-like, and I, and I think there's a scene yeah. in the second one where I'm pretty sure he uses the Jaws motif in there. So you've got all this like he
2: does, he does. He uses like two seconds of it.
1: Yeah, you've got like classical score
3: in and out, and th- that really heightened it for me. And like that definitely was a cut
1: above. Yeah,
5: there it
3: is. yeah, yeah. And I will say, like, and also like very Jaws-esque. Whenever you heard that, yes, like you knew shit was about to go down. And so that was like a very effective POV camera move of like, you know, someone watching these teens be sexy in the woods. And then you hear that, you know, someone's about to get like an ax in the face.
1: Yeah. And that was supposedly that was uh, very intentional from what I've read that um, Menfredini like created that and he wanted to make sure that The the Jason signature sound only happened when it was Jason's point of view because it it plays with that whole point of view thing. You're not sure whose point of view it is. It might be Crazy Ralph's point of view Mm -hmm. or it might be one of the other campers. You're not always sure, but when you hear Jason's theme, that was something that I guess was, uh, was done carefully that that's only when it's Jason.
2: Manfredini would go on to score like Swamp Thing, House, Deep Star 6, Wishmaster. Um, I I love wow. his work. Um, I very thought that in the first reading. one, it was very good. Like it was definitely like very psycho ripoff. And yes. in the second one, I thought he got way too excited. And we'll talk about that when we get into part two. But in the second one, like the kiki, Ki ma he got, like, way too excited about what he had created. This does have one of
1: my all-time favorite slasher conventions, and I think this is the first example that I, I've been trying to think of where I saw this before, the original Friday the 13th, and it's repeated throughout the, uh, the franchise. When the killer is stalking someone, and they're aware that he's stalking them, like he's really on top of them, and they're in, like, a cabin or a house, you know, they're inside... When the killer throws the last victim through the window at the the person he's mm. chasing, then it's mm. so scary. it happens like
2: five times in the series. I know. It's, it's so, so good. amazing,
1: like you know, if 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 it tricks you and you're you're not really ready for it, and then bam, the body comes flying through the window, the body of the last person. Ah, it's it's such a power move. Mm. That is like the most power move a slasher can do, and this movie does that. I'd be interested if anyone. Wants to let me know about an earlier version of that, but big, Mm. big fan.
3: I would like to bring up something that did bother me in this film, though, is that when uh, the final girl is trying to barricade herself into that room, (laughs) she does tie the door so it closes, (laughs) but the door opens like towards the outside and she just stacks a bunch of stuff in front of the door like it's going <laughs> to stop it from opening, but it opens the other way. It's so bad. And I yeah, so saw bad. it happening like in real time. She throws one chair. Yeah, I, I, um, you're right. Yeah, she not a smart cookie <laughs> well, that I noticed
1: Alice. That, like, <laughs> I noticed she was knocking. She would add a piece, and it would just knock another piece out and of the way. And she'd just of be like crying. Like, She's like, no. And the rope kept going slack. I knew that it wasn't the best
3: barricade, but wow, that's no, really yeah. funny. Yeah, I couldn't. St- I had to oh, pause it's, it's, that. Oh, it is bad.
2: Second. I, I think um I mean I'd have to go back and watch Halloween again, which we talked about, but like this franchise like literally did the don't run up the stairs thing, and it did it did it like so dirty that it was like characters in this in this series open up a door and there's a dead body like on the porch, and it's like you could jump over the dead body and get to. Maybe the woods and Freedom, or you could run back up the stairs. Mm-hmm. And they, like, open the door and they're like, oh, my God, a dead body. And you've seen, like, 17 dead bodies. And you were like, I can't possibly jump over this dead body. I must turn around now and run up the stairs.
3: <laughs> I must.
1: Well, I don't want to gloss over the great kills in this. Kevin Bacon meets a great end in mm. this movie. And this is the the beginning of Six Degrees.
2: That's a scary fucking kill.
1: Yeah. um, His death is great. Um, Savini shines in this. There's a lot of he was really into like throat cutting at that point. There's many, many slit throats Mm. in this. And um, I think the greatest special effect, practical special effect uh, in this movie by far, obviously, is the end Mm -hmm. when Betsy Palmer who is the star of this movie, in my opinion, by far, as Mrs. Voorhees. She is so great in this. She really elevates it to me at a crucial time because it is you know, low budget and bad acting and pretty silly, although I I do actually like the lore of it, the story. Um, Betsy Palmer takes Mrs. Voorhees to a level that by the time if you get to that last act, I think she really makes it something special. She's really good, and she gets one of the best ends that you're you're gonna see, I think, in any horror movie.
4: Big big slut shamer. I don't remember uh in the other movies, I don't know if people uh if serial killers attack people while they're having sex because they're distracted. But in this one, there's actually a reason because, you know, Jason was neglected by the lifeguards. Right. So uh because they were getting hanky panky. Mm. So there was like a reason in this one why, you know, uh, the slut shaming was happening, the slut shame killing, which was a big thing in 80s horror. And, and also, I was thinking about, you know, Tom Savini, when I was going through the list of movies that came out in 1980, just in this year alone, like, he must have just been so cranked on cocaine. I know. When was he not working? He did every movie <laughs> in nineteen
1: eighty. Well, in, in regard to the slut-shaming, that comes up a lot when you're talking about these slashers, especially Friday the 13th, I think, is the king. Well, maybe not. It, it, it was a thing. Um, you know, to me, honestly, like, I can see how, at the time, a lot of people thought that. And when you look at, like, um, criticism of this movie when it was released... There is a lot of very, like, feminist, left-wing, progressive criticism of these movies for that reason. Honestly, to me, when I look at it, I see it, and I think that this was more the intention, I, I see it as a criticism of that attitude. Like, mm-hmm. that, to me, that's the whole thing. These were underground filmmakers, and yeah, they might have been trying to grab a buck, and I don't attribute, by any means, the highest motives to anyone, but, you know, to me, it's 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 lampooning that it's it's criticizing that whole attitude and saying this is what you look like this is you know this is what you are you're you're this hyper moralizing monster who you know attacks and hurts people and then and that's why i think that these movies have been accepted now as being in a tradition of of social critiques of horror movies that sometimes in its day People aren't really ready for because horror pushes the envelope, and you know a- any film should push the envelope in my opinion. Um, any any genre film certainly. So I-, I think that's my you know my view of it. Uh, that
4: like almost like brought a tear to my eye. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was about slashers. And
2: I, maybe Aww. it's
4: because you know I'm a slut, so like I, I felt.
3: I'm here to defend
1: your
4: own. Yeah, Same. that's really nice of you. Thank that you.
3: Bless you, Trent.
2: I mean, it's it's a big it's a big deal that this movie did the whole switch and had had Pamela Voorhees be the killer. That's that's a pretty big deal. That, that is so good. Uh, I think
1: that it's easy because we've seen it so many times now. But that is awesome.
2: Yeah, and and there's uh, there's a character that we've talked about. We talked about in our I th- I believe mockumentary episode. We talked about Sandman. Dave picked Sandman. And there is a character in Sandman, Carol Glover, uh, Carol Clover, sorry, who had written a, a book called Men, Women, and Chainsaws, gender in the modern horror, horror film. She was in that movie and, and as herself, and that book does exist. And she, re, like, cites Friday the 13th uh, as the most dramatic case of pulling out the gender rug in horror film history. And she's commenting on the first-person point-of-view shot from the killer, She says, you know, we, the audience, stalk and kill a number of teenagers over the course of an hour of movie time without even knowing who we are. We are invited by conventional expectation and by glimpses of our own bodily parts, a heavily booted foot, a roughly gloved hand to suppose that we are male, but we are revealed at the film's end as a woman. And she notes, uh, because Cunningham avoids revealing anything about the psychotic killer beyond the fact that the figure is dressed in men's gloves and boots, the audience assumes the Slayer is a man. Cunningham sustains the eerie indeterminacy of the killer's age, social status, and gender deep into this film. The use of this cinematic process of abstraction allows the film to linger over the ambiguous nature of evil until its climactic last act.
4: Well, I think that if this movie had never come out and it came out today, even though it is Friday the 13th, I still think that this movie, if it came out today, would be called Karen. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> or boomer. I mean,
2: I, I'm, I'm just going to throw it out there. Like, we're getting to the end of the segment. The ending sequence, the ending scare still gets me every single time. Yep, me too. I know it's coming. Mm-hmm. It's one of the greatest endings of all time. Yep. Tom Savini recommended this. He suggested it because he had just seen Carrie. and it's, But, I mean, I literally was researching this movie and watching it for the show, and it still fucking got me and scared the shit out of me. So, I mean, say what you will about this movie. You can shred it. But it's absolutely legendary, and it's a foundational movie of modern North American
5: horror.
1: And I want to note, just to be clear, on that final scare, which I agree with you 100%, Kevin, it's so good, and I understand it was a last-minute add-on, like you say, um, that is where we switch to Jason, if we haven't been clear enough. At the very end of this movie, Jason himself is depicted... Jumping up out of the water to get one last final grab in at our final girl. And that is where this movie ends and the next picks up. And from here on out, it's Jason for the rest of the way. An icon has been created with no kills to his name. <laughs>
3: The second entry in one of our favorite horror series focuses on a group of teenage would-be counselors converging on Camp Crystal Lake for training under the tutelage of Head Counselor Paul. He tells the story of Jason Voorhees, the boy who ostensibly drowned at the camp and whose mother murdered a group of counselors in revenge. The teens don't take the tale seriously until a very much alive Jason begins gruesomely eliminating people. This one's from 1981, uh, so only a year after the first one came out, so it's quick turn and burn. Uh, it starts off with a nice little recap of the first one, so everybody knows what's going on. Uh, and then something that I thought was kind of unexpected happened right away, so that was a nice way to kick it off, I thought. Uh, Jason is rocking this weird bag sack on his head, uh, Town the Dread Sundown situation. I honestly didn't even. I was one of those people that didn't even realize that his mask didn't even show up in the first two films. Doesn't show up to the third. Uh, I obviously love the POV shots that keep happening from Jason's perspective. Now, now we know it's Jason, but sometimes you think it's Ralph. Sometimes it's other people. Uh, very Halloween esque. Love the sound effects and design because it's very similar, obviously. I think it's just as effective as the first one. Um, really fun deaths in this one, I thought, too. I loved the gore and the effects. Um, I would like to trademark the term sex kebab right now. <laughs> Thank you. I thought that was funny. Um That one was one of my favorites. Uh, (laughs) Right behind the machete to the face and then the mannequin that falls down the stairs in the wheelchair. I think that one, uh, I was watching it with my friend Katie. We we, we, uh, rewound that scene so we could watch it again because we thought it was uh, quite the entertaining piece. I'm also always down with a severed head scene, which I think we got a lot of in this one. So I was very into it. A uh, big fan of this one. Happy to watch it.
1: I have mixed feelings about part two, and this is also a rental, or uh, you can watch all of these actually uh, on Prime if you have the stars add-on. So new director, Steve Miner, he was one of the producers of Friday the 13th, is back. I think this really suffers from the lack of Tom Savini doing special effects. I think that... When you look at the kills in this, <laughs> so this is the realm that we're in, folks. I'm just saying. Uh, when you look at the kills, I think they suffer uh, f- from not having Tom Savini, and they're also like backloaded. This one is kind of backloaded. It gives you all your whole payday is in the front because it does the thing that I hate so much about early '80s horror sequels. They always do the full flashback of the whole last part of the other movie as though they couldn't be bothered to just write a scene to take 2 minutes to write a <laughs> scene where this is Alice is the same actress the final girl from Friday the 13th is who opens up Friday the 13th part 2. Alice is recovering from her whole ordeal and she's still dealing with the aftermath and trying to restart her life as she tells her mom. But it's not enough to just do that. They have to play the whole end of the first movie so you get through that like ah oh, god. Uh, And then it does make up for that, because I loved the cold open kill of Alice, the Mm. final girl Mm -hmm. from the first movie. That is so righteous. And I think that kind of like cancels out her whole final girl status. Are you really the final girl? If the first thing the next one does is get rid of you, yeah, within, within the first five minutes, uh, I yeah. loved that whole scene. is really, really good. So that made up for the flashback. Great cold open with that. I don't think I ever connected that. Hostel two. Hostel two does the same exact thing. The beginning of Hostel two, they get rid of the final bro. From, from the first movie, and then go on. So I appreciated that. Final
2: guy, final guy.
1: Final bro, final guy, final <laughs> dude, whatever. Um, that never occurred to me till now. Uh, and then I loved how they changed the title card, where instead of like breaking the glass, it explodes. So it's a promising start. I don't know. This one I don't think is quite as good. Um, but I did really enjoy it. I, I had a good time
4: watching this one. I did kind of like this one a little bit better. But when you have 80s movies, they have these credits in the beginning of the movie that have fucking nothing. It's just blackness in words. And I used to be able to just sit through this like no problem. But now I have all this stimuli from my phone and my computer and the television and all this stuff. And now I can barely sit through these moments of just a black screen and then lettering. Um, Although I really do love the Friday the 13th. Both of them have great title sequences kind of like crashing through like the glass and stuff.
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Then you go from that and, and it's like you're watching the other movie again. And that got a little bit annoying, but that would that would end up being like a sequel thing that people did maybe because not everyone owned like a VCR and they couldn't like go back and watch. So you had to like do a little recap. Um, maybe that was it, but um, I don't know. Neither really stands to like far head and shoulders above a lot of other stuff uh, around this time, but I liked it a little bit better than uh, the other one. I think the, I thought the production was better. I thought the kills, in all of the Friday the Thirteenth, I feel like they escalate. I even like during the break, I was saying how it gets cartoonish, like it gets so exaggerated, like pro wrestling, even later on. And I, I don't know where else you really could have gone with that because. I feel like only these first few are even scary. And then you kind of run out of tricks to do. So you just kind of play into the goofiness of it.
2: I mean, I mean, Trent, Kat, you both talked about like the opening of this movie and having Adrian King, Alice, the final girl from the first movie. She comes back and is just very unceremoniously killed at the start of part two I mean, I think we should talk about the fact that, you know, she had a stalker after the first film. She has someone so obsessed with her that they broke into her apartment. And this is the 1980s. Like, police did not take shit like this seriously. But she had somebody that was stalking her so hard that they broke into her apartment. And she said, hell yeah, I'll come back and do the movie. But can you give me a small part? And then she showed up on set and they didn't have a script for her. And she was like, okay, and that whole sequence got filmed. By the way, the entire movie had already been filmed prior to that. Um, and, And props to Adrienne King. She would go on to do a lot of good stuff like stunts in Ghostbusters. She came back in the 90s doing voice acting and dubbing for a ton of movies, including Jerry Maguire, Titanic. She came back to the screen in 2009 doing, like, The Butterfly Room, which is a horror film that's... I mean, I don't know if I'd recommend it. Um, But she also (laughs) narrated the audiobook of Grady Hendrix's novel The Final Girl Support Group, which is coming to TV in 2021. These don't
4: sound like high achievements to me. (laughs) What? These don't sound like high achievements. I feel like her career's kind of gone downhill. (laughs) You're saying she's gone on to do these great things, but she's just reading audiobooks and shit. I mean...
2: I don't, I mean, it, it, have you ever been stalked? I'm, I'm not Kevin,
4: trying to, I'm Kevin not trying sells,
2: to. No, I appreciate the sell job. Kevin, you just sold Wishmaster
1: like it was, you know, being like a, acclaimed Broadway play. So I, you know, I appreciate the the credence that, yeah. you know, you, you really appreciate the whole body of work of the people that we're talking about.
2: Yeah. Um, but also, you know, the, the kills that you guys talked about, um, they were bad. Um, I thought it was terrible in this one. Uh, Savini, yeah. they approached him about doing the kills and the effects in this, but he was whoever you talked to, he was either tied up doing Midnight or the Burning. Have you guys seen mm. the Burning? I hated it. I oh like it. God, I love the Burning. Really? uh um, oh, so boring. But then Stan, Stan Winston was was pulled in to do the effects on this, but then scheduling conflicts, he had to pull out. So Carl Fulton got the gig, and he did all the effects that you see. And, yes, there are a lot more like off-screen kills in Friday the 13th Part 2 than there are in Part 1. But Fullerton would go on to do Silence of the fucking Lambs, guys. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. This isn't like the stunt person for Ghostbusters. I literally (laughs) love what the Friday the 13th franchise has like. Like the thread it's pulled through horror over time. Um, I, I don't love this one actually I love the first one a lot And then I actually do love the third and the fourth one And one thing I never uh, realized Until watching this for the show Is that the first one is in 1980 And then the second one jumps five years ahead And then part two, three, and four Are all in subsequent nights I never knew that So like Jason goes on a rampage in part two. Bender. That then lasts for part three and part four. Like. Wow. Murder Bender. That's insane.
3: So maybe he's more of a spree killer than a serial killer.
2: Well, I mean, mean, that's a pretty fucking bad police department that's like, yeah, we'll just (laughs) let you kill like fucking 60 people in three days.
1: Mm. I don't don't know what you guys are talking about. Like the the kills are are good in this. I mean, the kills are. I'm the
4: only one that said that. I I
1: thought Kevin backed you up that. The kills, I think, are. Said they were bad. Yeah, the kills are bad in this, right? I are we agreement they were
3: on that? Fun. I thought they were funny. Like I liked the stabbing through two people banging. And then yeah, I but liked- it doesn't.
1: Me too. In theory, but it doesn't like. <laughs> it just gives you the cheap. And I guess that part was cut. The the shish kebab, the sex, shish kebab thing. Sex I kebab. Was, I think that was cut for a rating, and there maybe there's a better version of that, but it just. It just shows, like the spear come through the bottom of the bed, like the cheapest way around that. With a little bit of blood, I would compare that to Kevin Bacon's. And in the first one, you know, you really
4: get your money's worth. Well, Tom Savini did a actual kebab death in Happy Birthday to Me, which I think was the next year. Trent, we talked about um, we talked about Bay of Blood. Yes, right. That's that's where
1: the spear kills from.
2: Yeah, it's a direct ripoff.
1: Mario Bava's Bay of Blood, which was like 73, I want to say, that does the spear, the copulating spear killing, exactly. Um, I did appreciate like the whole cast of characters is back. You know, you have like a different jokester. This time you have Ted. I think I prefer Ted's jokester brand. He has like the thick, uh, like New Jersey accent or something. <laughs> I thought he was a better jokester than Ted in the first one. Um, you have Mark who is in the wheelchair. You have the like impossibly
2: clad Texas chainsaw ripoff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, again, you're still like just doing like various rips and various riffs, but you know, you're also kind of like doing your own stuff. Um, You have Ginny and Paul. They're the same as as, uh, Alice and Steve Christie in the first one. Um, There was one question I had, though, about that relationship. At the beginning, Ginny tells Paul that she has something she should tell him. And then she also makes a little remark about she'll never be late again. Guys, pick up on that.
2: Are we going into menstruation right now? Because that's what it is. Well, oh, oh. Oh, So there, there, there's one of the worst lines of all time. Yes. Early on in the movie, there's a character that tells the girls, "If you're, if you're having your period, like, deal with it, because the bears will get it."
1: Uh, the, the direct and quote so, is uh keep clean during your menstrual cycle. Yeah. I, oh yeah, yeah. I well
2: yeah, okay, thank it's you true. for being way less tactful. Uh, <laughs> That's what he says. But this one That's true. This one is I picked up on that when I watched it again, and it's uh when Amy Steele, who plays Ginny, and Paul are about to get it on, she says, I have something to tell you. And and then it cuts away she wakes up the next morning in his flannel and she wakes up and he's written on her mirror in like lipstick, beware of bears. So I think what she had to tell him is, I know we're getting hot and heavy, but I'm on my period. And so he didn't get laid, but he woke up the next day and wrote on her mirror, beware of bears. It's wow. fucking horrible.
1: Wow. What a dick. Wow. I was thinking that she was trying to tell him she was pregnant and that that maybe it got no. cut out of the movie because doesn't nope. that happen it, in one of the other it, ones? It, it, it was
2: liter- it was literally I can't get oh pregnant. Oh my right god. Now. Wow. Um Listen, wow. if yeah. someone
3: doesn't want to bang when you're on your period, I don't know what to tell you. Okay. That's they all probably wouldn't say. like horror movies either then. <laughs> yeah. They- <laughs>
4: Um, i liked my favorite character
1: i think in this was jeff because uh jeff in this is a genre of real life dude i I don't know if you guys will back me up on this but Mm -hmm. jeff is the guy in this movie he has like longish blonde hair not long but longish and he has like the newsboy cap on over that that's a dude in, in real life cat you know that dude right Uh Uh-huh. I mean, his name is
5: Jeff, I think. So
3: that really, like, that character rang true. Um, I do have a fun fact I'd like to tell the group. Um, So (laughs) when they first made the first Friday the 13th movie, it was going to be a series of anthologies as opposed to just the same one over and over and over and over again. But they got such a good response from the Jason character at first that they were just like, well, guess we're just doing Jason's for the next 12, 15, 20 movies. Right. So,
4: that's what happened to Halloween. Yeah. We talked about that when right. we they talked about the Halloween.
3: They did the anthology, the third Halloween movie. Right, and they
1: went back. Yeah, yeah, doing, it bombed.
2: That's what they wanted to do with this series. So it was uh going to be, I mean, they wanted Sean Cunningham back to direct, and the original team was like, hey, let's just do a movie that's like, okay, this fucked up thing happens on Friday the 13th. And I I honestly, like, I mean, part of me is, like, that would be great, but would we have Jason? Like, we wouldn't have Jason if that hadn't happened. And as ridiculous as it is when you go back and watch it, um, I'm kind of happy they didn't. Uh, I, I, you know, honestly, I wish Michael Doherty would keep doing it with, like, like, trick-or-treat or something like that. I thought the uh, the
1: handheld video games in this lent it, like, a contemporary authenticity. <laughs> Didn't you think that those were phones?
5: Right. It was like, Hockey oh... or football?
1: Yeah, no, it just it made it seem more realistic because while two people would be doing one thing, it would have two people on the couch doing the little video, the handheld video games, which must have been, like, very cutting-edge at the time. <laughs> and it was just, like, people looking at their phones. So I thought that kind of, like... Took me uh, to the present a little bit. Ginny, um, as a, a final girl, I thought maybe a little overdone here. Like she really, se- it seems like this sort of like wise, uh, wise oracle from the beginning. I really didn't like her whole speech at the bar about which is my one of my favorite oh. scenes is when they all go to the bar the last night before they really have to bear down and get to work. The uh, counselor Paul, the, or the, the leader Paul, says, like, everybody, let's go out. So they're like at the bar trying to have some fun. And, you know, Ginny gets like two beers in her and she has to start getting all maudlin and sad about the legend of Jason Voorhees. Right? That seemed like, you know, I could relate to that. Like, oh, God, here we go. You know, forget, forget about this uh, local lore. You know, trying to have a good time here. Her
2: final girl sequence, uh, the longest final girl sequence hate of all time. Yeah. See, like, I hated that. Yeah. Could you, could you, like, For the kills that we were talking about, like, there are some very undershown kills. You could have, like, gone, like, Argento, Jalo, like, mysterious kill sequences and not worried so much about dragging your movie into 90 minutes. Uh. Ah. And maybe have some of these kills be a little bit longer instead of, oh, let's watch Ginny. In the final girl sequence go for twenty-five minutes. Nice.
4: Yeah,
1: too long. Although her whole thing with them with the mother at the end when she's impersonating Mrs. Voorhees, I I got some psycho great, great scene. I got some psycho vibes with that. So mm-hmm. I thought that, that that's maybe like a, a lineage of this movie that people don't talk about much. Like this is in a lot of ways very much, you know, a, a descendant of Psycho in that manner. Um I loved that we got to see Jason's place. I don't know <laughs> that there's another one until the remake in two thousand nine or the reboot where you actually go to Jason's house. He has a a physical like dwelling where he lives back in the woods, and you know you get sort of the uh, "pimp my crib" thing with Jason. That that was kind of cool. <laughs> like, uh, do you guys remember? Crystal
4: Lake. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you guys
1: <laughs> maybe? Uh, I'd be curious poppin'. if if any of you remember the frog the the frog in a blender joke. that's yes. in this?
4: So there's lots of oh, good what, dad jokes in this.
2: What is uh what's red and green and, it goes 100 in 100 like miles an hour? frog yeah. in a blender yeah
1: that was a, have you ever heard that one cat no oh you've never heard that
3: no
2: okay that's so that's hilarious. a dividing line
1: cats never yeah. heard that joke before uh uh-huh. um that's followed up by one i don't remember the beethoven's last movement <laughs> what's what's brown and sits <laughs> oh, on a <the> piano
3: oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay that one's good I,
1: do you guys remember uh, what's grosser than gross ice cold no. you don't remember that joke no oh there was like a whole series of like i say what's grosser than gross what 10 dead babies in a trash can oh and then i and then i say what's grosser than that what is uh one dead baby in 10 trash cans oh yeah you, you never heard that one yeah no, it's funny I At, in, in school I feel
3: you like never... icp like made those jokes no no that, no that was an old
4: you know like third grade joke
3: yeah well
4: wait insane clown posse makes jokes
3: i don't know they are a joke that's true. Right? I
1: didn't know they knew they were a joke. I don't maker, know. Well, though. they probably don't. Yeah, <laughs> they're fucking clowns.
3: Um, I'm curious. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know who everyone else's oh daddy of the week pick was, but I do have mine, and it's Ralph. Because he's in both. Crazy Ralph? Yeah. He's just Ralph. riding his little bicycle, hiding in pantries.
1: I, popping I had out a of Ralph trees. in my town. Yeah? I respect Ralph. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that's one of few uh, oracles. You don't usually see the oracle from the first movie end up back in the second one. Although he he meets a rather brutal end in this mm. one.
2: What about Muffin though? Oh. Oh, great poor final Muffin. Scene with Muffin. Oh. That
1: is a redeeming scene when Muffin the dog has been missing and they do this whole uh, fake out thing where you think Muffin got got Dave. I, I was I was thinking yeah. of you that you would be excited yeah. about Muffin getting got. And then there's a whole nice. scene at the end. It's so effective.
4: I, w- I was confused. Range. Like, what was that carcass then in the woods? Yeah, you don't know. I like that girl that wants to go check out the murder place. Like, I, that's, I feel like that's yeah, the Sandra, kind of adventure Sandra, I'd want to yeah. go on. I'd want to go with a girl that wanted to go to the, you know. Yeah. The-
2: you might want to rethink this, Dave, because after filming it, they discovered that Martha Kober, who played Sandra, and was part of the duo having sex in the spear scene was 16 years old.
4: Well, yeah, she seemed very had, young.
2: And they had to scrub all of the scenes of her being full nude.
1: That, I think that's part of why wow. the spear scene doesn't uh, it seems like there's something missing there. Oh, yeah. wow. I
4: think that's yes. why. Yeah. That, yeah,
1: that's I that that. Is wild.
2: It was supposed to be shown like her full nude and Uh, Carl Fullerton Fullerton, that I was talking about that did the effects. Um, He is the only one that had a copy that wasn't destroyed of this footage.
4: I just liked it that she was drawn toward the horror. I wasn't being like, oh, yeah, that's my kind of girl. (laughs) This one, I think, also greatly
1: benefits from the score. I thought it was a little aggressive this time. Uh, well, maybe so. I, I guess I, d- I didn't get that um, deep into it, but I, I I thought that, again, it elevated it, and you know I think some of the acting is better in this. There are things about this that I do like better than the first one, but all in all, I don't know. I think it's kind of a drop-off, and that's pretty much it for the whole series, in my
2: opinion. Well, I mean, you have Steve Miner, who directed it, who, Trent, you talked about. He was on the first one. He would go on to do things like The Wonder Years, Dawson's all Creek, right. and Smallville. Now, um, but now those Dave, are Dave, successes. Dave, yeah, that's not.
1: That brand. makes me feel soft
4: now. That <laughs> yeah. I like this. I like this movie. Yeah, I, I'm and, going and, back to the first one. I like the first one better now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know he went on and did all that stuff. He
1: did goosebumps also.
2: <laughs> oh, and 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 Dave talked about like the horror movies that came out in 1980 when he was like dissing F13 one which is, is totally fair. But in 81, guess what came out? Omen 3, Evil Dead, The Howling, My Bloody Valentine, Happy Birthday to Me, Graduation Day, Halloween 2, and The Burning.
1: You just have like a whole nother glut of much better movies than this. Yeah. But that's, that's not to put it down. I, I did enjoy it. I just I think it was a drop off uh, from the first
2: one. This franchise literally taught all of us to suspend our disbelief and just start believing in horror.